Welcome to The Sipping Point, where each week we explore the recipe for a delicious life. I'm your host, Lori Forrester, the wine coach, and I've made it my mission in life to demystify wine one glass at a time. So expect a fresh and fun approach to the world of wine, spirits, food, and so much more. This week, we're featuring some great interviews, Chris. Okay. That I got on my trip to Charleston, South Carolina. South Carolina. I attended the Charleston uh, Wine and Food Festival. And what I love about these two interviews and the two winemakers I talked to, their wines are perfect for Easter. Yes, yeah, springtime. Easter ham, if you're having ham. I, I love ham. I hope you're having ham. Always ham. <laughs> um, anyway, I met some amazing winemakers. We're going to share these interviews together. And what do you do for the Easter holiday? Well, you know, m- with my family, we're, my mom's side's Italian, my dad's side's Ukrainian. So for breakfast, we do the Ukrainian, which is ham and sausage nice. and uh, other things. And then for lunch, we do Italian. Oh, I like this. Yeah, so you get Very the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> I'm actually, uh, my in-law side, um, they moved down to Shreveport. Okay. And so we're actually going down to Louisiana. Nice. I know. I've, I've never been to Louisiana. Me either. Or wait, New Orleans, does that count? Yeah, I guess it yeah, does. Yeah, it's technically. Yeah, it's a whole other world, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a different country. You're going to be down on the bayou. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know what, if we're going to be having crawfish or yeah, what we're going to be having. etouffee, <laughs> red rice and be, uh what is it, red beans and rice? True. But if you serve ham, we're going to be listening um, to a couple interviews I did uh, with some winemakers that make rosé, sparkling wine, yeah. and dry rosé. Okay. That's a great pairing for ham. Yeah. But lots of people have lamb, too. Yes. And if you're looking for something that's going to cross both those, because we sometimes do both, ham and lamb, Pinot Noir is a great wine to choose. So if you're just looking for something, if you have a favorite Pinot Noir, that's something that I would suggest people get. Sounds delicious. Have a dry rosé, have a Pinot Noir. Okay. You got to have choices for people. That's true. Not everybody has the same taste for wines. I know. So what are you drinking? Uh, do, do you have drinks at your Ukrainian uh, breakfast portion? <laughs> it's funny because there's a uh, a homemade Ukrainian liqueur called Medivka that we do uh, a shot of in the morning. Medivka. Before. This is the, I've never church. heard of this. Before church, we do a shot. <laughs> Just gets your mind right. It's nuts. It's, it's, what it's, does it's it a, taste like? It's, it's, it's a honey liqueur. Um, if you've ever oh. had Baron Jaeger, it's a very similar thing. <laughs> no. No. It, it's not related to Jaegermeister. It's called Baron Jaeger, though. It comes in like a, uh, uh, I don't even know how to describe the packaging, but it's 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 a honey liquor. Uh, it's very tasty. goes down smooth, but it has a, uh, has a mean side to it that it'll catch up to you in a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, getting back to the Charleston Food and Wine Festival, just to kind of set the stage for everybody with these two great winemakers mm-hmm. I talked to, uh, I went down there. I spent uh, Thursday through Sunday. Nice. It happens every year um, in the early March okay. time frame. And great winemakers, chefs from all over the country, wine seminars. They have a beer and barbecue tent. Oh, man. Which you would love. I wouldn't have left. Yep. They have a grand tasting tent with wine and cocktails okay. and all kinds of food. You know, a lot of times you go to these wine festivals and there's very little in the way of food. Well, yeah. And not... Not the case with Charleston Wine and okay. Food. Lots of food there, so you're not just drinking. It's a good All mix right. of eating and drinking. Real quick, best dish you had? Best dish. Oh, there was this restaurant from Nashville called okay. Southern Steak and Oyster. Ooh. And it was a corn cake with beef and some jalapeno sauce and 
What was the thing? Oh, quail egg right on top. Oh, very nice. I had about three of those. <laughs> I kept going back, hoping they wouldn't recognize me. Uh, uh, Don't recognize on. me. Yeah, <laughs> Southern Steak and Oyster in Nashville. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Cyril Brune, head winemaker of Veuve Clicquot, is going to talk about the best thing about rosé champagne and why it's perfect to drink with your Easter holiday. Perfect. We'll be right back. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach with The Sipping Point, and I am here on location in Charleston, South Carolina, but I'm not speaking to anyone who's from the Deep South. I'm actually sitting right next to Cyril Brune from Veuve Clicquot, one of the most famous uh, champagne houses in the world, or in Champagne, if you will, and I had the pleasure yesterday of attending his seminar, and I thought he was so compelling that we should get him on The Sipping Point and hear all about what's going on in Champagne. So, Cyril, as we get started, give the folks uh, who are listening right now an idea of what, because this seems like a dream job that you have, working at a champagne house. Give us an idea of what your position is. So, actually, I'm uh, the senior winemaker of the winery. I've worked uh, for Clicquot for the last 15 years. So, I'm in charge myself and my colleague to the, uh, to the making of all the different wines from Clicquot. And uh, most recently, I've been more specialized in making the rosé ranch, which includes the rosé, uh, non-vintage uh, rosé label, the vintage uh, rosé, and the La Grande Dame rosé. And so yesterday we had a, a seminar to really explain uh, the kind of uh, uh, backstages of the making of the of the rosés. And the rosés are made from a very uh, simple way. We're adding red seed wines into the existing white base of a normal champagne. So now you're head winemaker. How many winemakers are there at Veuve Clicquot currently that you're managing? Currently, we are about a dozen of winemakers, so uh, and we are all uh, working as a team. We are working as a testing panel because we definitely need the, the sensibility of each different person because I know that some of my colleagues, they might be more sensible to acidity, to sugar, to bitterness, and or to phenolics, and we need to get the expertise of every single person to take a group decision. Nice. All right. Well, one of the things uh, that I love about this interview now is in the U.S., uh, sales of sparkling wine and champagne. Those are two different things. A lot of people don't realize that it cannot be called champagne unless it's from Champagne, France. Otherwise, it's sparkling wine. can still be good, but it can't be champagne. Um, are, are way up, uh, the sales here in the U.S., but rosé is a very uh, hot category even within that sparkling wine. Um, I think in the U.S., we were afraid of pink for a while. <laughs> because of white Zinfandel, but pink is okay now, and it doesn't mean sweet. So tell me uh, a little bit about your, we have, uh, let the folks know, we do have wine in our glass right now. Uh, tell me a little bit about the rosé champagne that we're tasting right now. Uh, the the rosé, about, about the rosé category, first of all, it's really the category that has the most expanded in the last 10 years because people have really discovered the real facet of the rosé. Uh, the champagne rosé is a wine on its own and before that people they were tending to uh, choose the rosé for uh, Valentine's Mother's Day when the, the rosé was very linked to, celebra- to celebration and now people they have rediscovered the champagne for what it is for its own product and they tend to, to have it from January to December so we still observe some peaks of celebration that are related to rosé but then people enjoy it on its own 
And so the one we're currently uh, testing is the Rosé uh, Vaflico non-vintage. It's the kind of sister wine to the Yellow Label, the most famous uh, iconic uh, champagne from the range. And it has been done uh, from the existing base of Yellow Label with a 12% red steel wine addition, only Pinot Noir. And so it's going to really bring this very appealing color. We have this kind of bright copper salmon uh, color, which is really, really engaging. And then by adding red wines, you are going to bring an extra layer of complexity that's going to be mostly red fruit driven. You have this kind of uh, raspberries, strawberries, white strawberries profile, which is once more very appealing. And then on the palate, you are going to add also more phenolics, more structure, more body. And the global result is that it makes that wine clearly more versatile when it comes to food pairing. Let me make sure I got this straight. So you're making a white champagne, and then you're adding a red wine, which is, in this case, Pinot Noir, to make it pink. (laughs) It's your recipe. And so the base champagne that you're using... Uh, to then add the red wine what what is the grape uh, varietals that you're using? For the white base we're going to have about 55% of Pinot Noir, 30% of Chardonnay and 50% of Meunier nice. that's going to be the kind of classic uh, recipe uh, for the non-vintage available blend and then in the case of the rosé vintage, the rosé non-vintage sorry, there is an extra 12% addition of Pinot Noir vinified as a red seed wine. Yes so I think that's one thing that not everybody knows is that there are three grapes in Champagne and two of the three are red grapes. Yes. That's right. You heard it, people. Red grapes. Even when we make white Champagne, the reason why we're allowed to keep it white is that we just don't use the skins as part of the winemaking process. Um, so this is such a beautiful color. And how would you describe the rosé champagne experience to people who maybe have only really had regular champagne yet? I think one of the success uh, of the rosé champagne uh, recently is that people have discovered that when you go for rosé champagne, you get almost like the best of the white and the best of the red. Because uh, in many occasions, when you are in a restaurant with a, a large table of uh, eight or ten people, you will get people that will going to order oysters, fish, crab, meat, beef, and you never know w- what to take. And when you are given a wine list, you are in trouble. And most of the people that have realized the versatility of rosé, they order a, a rosé champagne, and everybody's happy. And that's what that's the idea of combining the best of both worlds, the the white wines and the red wines together. And the rosé is really also capable, thanks to to this freshness and carbonation, to to clean to keep your palate very clean and to cut the fat, which is a, a big discovery for most of people because it means it opens the door to to pairing with meat. And the I have to say the Pinot Noir that we tasted, the red Pinot Noir that we tasted in your seminar was delicious, I thought. Three very different um, Pinot Noirs that you make from different plots of land. And then we were given the opportunity to make our own blend of that and then add that to our champagne to create a personal rosé, I guess, if you will. Um, What do you think is probably the biggest misconception that you think Americans have about champagne? I feel like that people, they, they, and it's not only on, in, in America, people, they still feel like that you should only associate champagne with celebration. And that's, I mean, in France, we had about the same vision like uh, 50 years ago. And we have now uh, learned how to appreciate champagne for what it is. So which means we don't wait for anything special to go for a bottle of champagne. 
uh, most of my friends uh, on a daily basis they have a bottle of champagne in their fridge because for, for no reason they may say well today I'm in mood for champagne and they open it and that's it for nothing special I like it because every day is a celebration right <laughs> you're living and you're drinking champagne it's pretty much a celebration to me <laughs> it can be champagne Monday champagne Wednesday champagne anytime you imagine that you have a good day or a bad day for whatever reason you open a bottle of champagne you, you get a good day nice I love it all right, and then just how did you end up uh, becoming a winemaker? What inspired you to be in the business? Actually, my, my father and grandfather, they were already uh, winemakers in Champagne. My great-grandfather was a barrel maker, so he was related to, uh, to people that, are, that were in the winemaking business. So we had that kind of uh, tradition in the family. Actually, my mom, my mom was a doctor, and my mom was pushing me to become a, a doctor. And my dad, that was a winemaker, was, told me that a winemaker is a much better job. And so uh, my dad convinced me when saying, if you are a doctor, you are going to meet uh, sick people the rest of your life if you are a winemaker uh, uh, making champagne you are going to meet happy people the rest of your life yes well I know I'm very happy with this class so <laughs> it's coming true and then you told a really cute story about um, a tradition in your family um, when babies are born uh, tell me about that Actually, when you get a, a newborn baby, you just put a drop of champagne on the tongue, uh, which means uh, he has been fed by uh, his uh, mother's milk and uh, the milk of the father, which is the champagne, of course. All right. Well, that it sounds like a great way to start. Some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, but <laughs> champagne on the tongue sounds pretty good. Um, well, Cyril Brun from Vouv Clicquot, thank you so much. This is delicious rosé, and thank you for kind of giving us the key to what it takes to make a rosé and a great champagne. Cheers. Thank you so much. I really enjoy my time in Charleston. This is Lori Forrester, the wine coach with a sipping point, and I am sitting here in the sun with a glass of rosé wine with Paul Chevalier from Chateau de Clance. Am I getting close? Chateau de Clance. De I know. I, I, I know it to see it, but to say it is another thing. Everyone that listens to my show knows that I have Jersey French, so it's not great, but you're going to teach me. And And... A wonderful bottle here called Whispering Angel. I got to visit your table, and you are passionate about rosé, and that's what struck me, and I want my listeners to meet you. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, merci beaucoup. <laughs> um, I think we could say we have a vocation at Chateau d'Esclon for educating and teaching people about rosé, um, especially in the U.S., because I think uh, for a very long time there's been a misconception about rosé, and many p people still think rosé is sweet. Um, but in Provence, rosé is not sweet, it's dry. Yes, and that's what I love. Um, we've got a nice little jet flying over here with something to do with the Citadel, I'm sure. <laughs> but all right, so Provence definitely linked with rosé. In my mind, um, if somebody says rosé, I'm going to Provence uh, as the top producer in the world of rosé. Is that correct? Correct, and it is really Provence is the rosé capital of the world. Um, 
it's very interesting. You, you know, today uh, rosé has become more and more popular, but I think it has a lot to do with Provence. Um, and the key grape variety we use in Provence is called Grenache. And I think a lot of this, the success that we've had is really linked to this because um, you can actually make rosé from any red grape, Cabernet Sauvignon or Pinot Noir or um, Tempranillo in Spain or Sangiovese in Italy. Uh, but Grenache tends to produce um, the best results, very elegant style, pale rosés. Mm. And you made a point the other day when we were doing our little um, tasting that the color here, you have your, I will put a picture of this on my website. So it's called the Rosé Barometer, the many shades of pink wine. And in your estimation, the lighter the color, the better the rosé. Yes, right. And there's, there's a reason. I think, you know, some people might disagree. But what happens is, remember, these um, rosés are, are made from, from red grapes. And in the, in the case of Whispering Angels, made from predominantly from Grenache. We pick our grapes and then they're crushed and you soak the skin with the juice for three to four hours. If you kept that same skins, those same skins and juice together um, for two to three weeks, you'd make a very big red wine. Uh, but when you're making rosé, you don't want to make a red wine and you don't want any characteristics that you would have in a red wine. Uh, rosé should not be astringent, it should not be bitter, and it should not have a bite. And yours doesn't. The, now, the one um, that we're tasting here is called Whispering Angel, and you have a whole line, a range of, of rosé wines. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Whispering Angel and, and what makes it different from the other rosés in your portfolio. Okay. Well, at, at Chateau Disclone, we make, actually, we produce four different styles of rosé, uh, all, again, for using predominantly Grenache, uh, the difference being um, origin of vine uh, and then elevation of vineyard and also the use of, of barrels or oak. So in the case of Whispering Angel, they tend to be uh, vines which are a little lower in the valley, um, a little bit younger, uh, and Whispering Angel is 100% stainless steel. So it's really a style of wine which is all about fruit. Um, the way I describe Whispering Angel is it's almost like you're biting into a, a fresh fruit, uh, except for you have zero sugar. Mm, yes, and I love the, the dryness. When the weather is warm and we're having a beautiful day here today... Red doesn't seem very refreshing, and but sometimes you want something more than a white. And in my mind, you know, rosé is kind of like a very light red wine for for great weather. Is that uh, an okay way to think about rosé? Yeah, I th- it's interesting because you know, we uh, our first vintage Whispering Angel was 2006, and I remember um, starting in the summer of. 2007 and it was and, and once the summer was over it was sort of I guess Labor Day or early October and everybody started uh taking rosé off the shelves in, in the stores in New York. And I said, well, what are you doing? They said, well, summer is over. And I said, well, you drink champagne in the winter. Um, you drink white wine in the winter. Why don't you drink rosé? And, and this has slowly changed. So I think now rosé is becoming an all-year-round mm-hmm. phenomenon. Um, but I would describe rosé as it sort of starts like a white and finishes like a red. Oh, that's a nice way of thinking. I like that way of thinking about it. I actually inter- uh, interviewed Cyril Brune from uh, Vouv Clicquot. Uh, he did a seminar on his rosé champagne, and we were speaking about what a hot category that is in, in the world of wine in the U.S. right now. I mean, bubblies in, in general, and then the rosé sparkling wines. I think uh, really a lot of the success of dry rosé from Provence and other places in France has really opened people up to the whole rosé 
idea. Yes, and and, and actually, I'll be I'll be honest. Is um, ladies are have a lot to do with this because the the consumers who are drinking a lot of this rosé are late. Uh, having said that, you know, men do drink rosé as well. Uh, but really, the our, our consumer base, I would say, is probably seventy five percent female. Wow! Yeah, you you have a big smile on your face when you say that. <laughs> So you're not you're not upset about that at all. No, all right. So um, food and wine pairing is something I'm really passionate about. I'm married to a chef. Everything for us is about food and wine. So what are the perfect pairings in your mind for the a dry rosé like the Whispering Angel? Okay, actually, a very, it's a very good question. I would say rosé to begin with, rosé from Provence is probably one of the most versatile um, wine and food pairing um, wines because it just it really goes from one spectrum to the other so starting with something traditional because we are in the Côte d'Azur which is you know the Mediterranean uh, the first thing which would come to mind is that sort of classic Mediterranean cuisine which would be the sort of the salad niçoise and what we call bouillabaisse you know this the fish soup but uh, it really goes a lot further than that so some of the new we've done a lot of wine uh, rosé dinners wine pairing dinners and we've tried to experiment so one of the more recent ones was um, with um, chef Charles Fan from San Francisco which is sort of that whole Asian-Vietnamese cuisine. Uh, that worked really well. Um, we did one with um, Morimoto, so rosé and sushi. Oh. Uh, or we did one um, in Texas with Chef Tim Love. So think about spicy barbecue. So really, really quite across the board. Yeah, very versatile. I, I, that's one of the things I love about Dry Rosé, and uh, this is delicious. So tell me, you said 2006 was oh, first the, the first vintage. What uh, inspired you to become a winemaker, to make and be so passionate, because you are so passionate about Rosé when you're in there sharing it with consumers? What was the tipping point or the sipping point of of you actually making this your profession um well again i've been i've been winemaking all my life i went to the university in, in champagne that's where i started with actually with verflico so I, I know that brand very well um i think that all it was a very interesting you know sometimes in life things happen for 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 reasons and there are three kind of three gentlemen there's the, the owner of chateau d'escon with sasha lachine who's the the son of, of course alexis lachine very famous with his writing um, the, the Encyclopedia of Wine. Um, his other good friend, longtime friend, was Patrick Léon. And Patrick Léon was the winemaker for Chateau Mouton Rothschild in, in Bordeaux, in Pauillac. He also worked on Opus One from the from the very beginning with the association of Baron Philippe and, and Robert Mondavi back in 1978, and also in Chile and Vina on Riviera. So the, sort of, I guess, for whatever reason, the three of us all came together, and this is the, I guess the success of Whispering Angel today, which is the, um, who would have guessed in 2006, but this is the number one selling rosé in the United States, and it, wow. we just cannot keep it on the shelf. We keep running out every year. Ah, oh, well, congratulations. That's definitely something to toast to. Um, well, Paul Chevalier from Chateau Desclan, thank you so much for your time and for the Whispering Angel. I guess it's probably widely available in... 46 states. 46 states, so our our listeners will be able to find it in the D.C. Baltimore area and I'm sure can find you online. Uh, where should they go? Okay. Well, the website is, is um, www.esclan, E-S-C-L-A-N, S, uh, dot com. Uh, or look at our Twitter, which is kind of fun. You'll see all the various events that we do uh, at Whispering Angel. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. Cheers. And, and merci. Merci. Uh-huh. 
You're listening to The Sipping Point. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach. All the information from today's show can be found at thewinecoach.com or by downloading my free app for iPhone and Android. Check it out in the App Store. If you're looking for something really amazing to do, check out my wine comedy dinner at the Oregon Grill. It's going to be April 10th. It's called Something to Wine About. I've been doing the show all over the country, and now I'm doing it here in Baltimore. Now, most of the time at the Oregon Grill, I'm doing ladies only, but this is co-ed, all right? So bring your guy, your friends, your brother. Go to thewinecoach.com slash women to check out the tickets and have dinner, have some laughs, and just an amazing night with me. I hope to see you there. Um, if you're looking for some reservations for Easter, that's the way I like to cook, you want to give the, my friends at the Oregon Grill a call at 410-771-0505 to make a reservation. They have great prime steaks, pan-fried rockfish, and so much more. Special thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Sheehy Lexus of Annapolis, a Wine World, the Oregon Grill, and our newest advertiser, Hair of the Dog, Wine and Spirits.